I'm so glad that you have made it out to another Sunday morning of worship here at Stonington Baptist. And as Nathan said, yes, this is Valentine's Day week. <laughs> and that's on Friday, so gentlemen, this is, your, this is your announcement, your warning. Make sure you get all your preparations ready before Friday morning. Um, <laughs> uh, this is your, you know, couple days warning. Uh, but of course, it's Valentine's Day, so there's lots and lots of talk about love in the air. Uh, and uh, I figured that I would take a moment and, as Pastor Nathan said, examine this passage, what I think, which I think is perhaps one of the most beautiful and robust pictures of love and what love looks like that we have in the scriptures. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like the grocery stores have been crammed full of red cookies and pink candies and heart-shaped boxes of chocolates since about December 26th. <laughs> Like, Christmas is creeping up on Halloween, but Valentine's Day is creeping up on New Year's, and, and now soon it'll be St. Patrick's Day or whatever after this weekend, I guess. I don't know what the holiday is after that. <laughs> but for all the talk about love, I still contend, I still feel as though there's not a good understanding about what love is, what that word really means. Because we see it on those candy-shaped chalk hearts or whatever, you know, that I don't really find good. You may find them good, but I don't really find them good. But you find, you know, like, be my valentines on those little things or whatever. And what does that mean? What does that mean to love someone like that? We say, uh, I love that show, or I love that book, or I love that, that dessert. <laughs> That's mine. Uh, I love that dessert. But what does that mean, that we love that? We just like it a really, uh, like it a lot, <laughs> But does that mean that we love it? Well, I think, uh, no, it does not. And you see this throughout all different aspects of our, of our culture, of our society. There's so much talk about love. It's, that word is used so much. It's in constant vernacular that I would say that has lost a lot of its meaning. Think about all the movies in the last, I don't know, let's say 10 years that have dealt with the idea or the topic of love. From romantic comedies to uh, dramatic romances to romantic thrillers. There's all these movies that are constantly trying to uh, talk about the convert or have conversations about love and what that means and how do we fall in love and what does that mean and all that kind of stuff. But there was a really interesting movie a couple of years ago called Interstellar. Uh, if you've heard of that, it was marketed as this grand uh, space exploration movie. Which it is to a large extent. It has grand and really cool visuals that explore the deep and outer parts of space. But what you find out is this movie is actually just a science fiction themed conversation about love. <laughs> In fact, this is a quote from that movie, Interstellar, where one person, the one lead uh, female protagonist, uh, uh, protagonist, she says, Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends time and space. <laughs> Well, what does that mean, though? <laughs> Even still, they didn't go far enough with that. Because I was still, at the end of the movie, you're left wanting. Yes, but what does that mean? Of course, we can also look at the music industry. If you took away every single song that dealt with love, what would there be left to sing about? <laughs> I don't know. We, we sing about love lost and love gained and love forgotten and love gone away and all those sorts of things. It's almost every song, I think, on every record deals with something about love. The Beatles, of course, famously said that all you need is love, but is that true? 
I would say yes and no. It depends on what type of love you're talking about, which leads me to last Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. Did you see that incredible commercial that talked about love during the Super Bowl broadcast? There was one incredible commercial that just left me astounded. I couldn't believe that it was allowed to air. It starts out with these beautiful images of all these friends and family. They're coming together. And the narrator comes on over this commercial. And she begins to talk about the four Greek words that the Greeks used to talk about love. The narrator comes on and talks about philia. Which the narrator describes as an affection that grows from friendship. And then the narrator proceeds as it shows images of family it, 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 to talk about storge, which is an affection felt for a grandparent or a brother. It's a family love. And then it moves to talk about eros, which is, in the words of the commercial, uh, that is an uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. And then it, it even proceeds to talk about agape, which the narrator says is a different love. It's a different kind of love. A love, in her words, that is the most admirable love. A love that takes courage and sacrifice and strength. And then the tagline comes on, We've been helping people act on their love for 175 years. And that's a commercial for the New York Life Insurance Company. (laughs) And it aired during the Super Bowl. Apparently... If we wanted to learn about agape love, we just had to go get health or life insurance from New York Life, and we could learn how we could get better at acts of agape love. And I was just astounded. I smirked because it's fascinating and surprising that this commercial was able to get through sort of the barriers of what it means to pay money to get a commercial on a live broadcast of a Super Bowl. Especially because it feels like they just read C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves and then just made that into a commercial. But I also shrug because they were so close to capturing what it means to love and yet they were so far away. Because they rightly talked about all these different types of love and they still fell short. That's because you and I, we don't need an insurance company To tell us what agape love means. What true love looks like. We have it right here in the word of God. We have it right here in front of us. If you want to know what agape love looks like. It's right here. In the words of our text. Where the apostle John writes and begins. Beloved let us love one another. And then he proceeds throughout the rest of the chapter to give, I think, the strongest picture of what love looks like. And we're going to look at that through three different views, so to speak. I want to go through them quickly this morning. Because I think looking at this text will give us what love really means, what love really looks like. So first of all, in verses 7 through 9, I think John relays for us love's foundation. Love's foundation. Look what he says. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that knoweth not, uh, that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this, 
was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So he begins by exhorting his audience, love one another, and then he proceeds to found, to ground, to bring them to a strong foundation of that love as it is seen in God himself. And he makes this bold assertion there in verse 7. This bold and broad assertion that love is of God. It comes from Him. It originates in God. All that we know and see about love, we see in God Himself. And we cannot know anything about love apart from Him. This is the reason why the New York life insurance commercial is so close yet so far away. Because they seek to define love in human terms when Jesus is saying, when John is saying here that we can only know love as we see it in God. Because why? It comes from God. It comes from Him. And then he, he narrows that assertion when he says that God is love. That all of God's doings and actions in the world, all of his manifestations in our lives are manifestations of love, are acts of love. God is a God of love. Yes, even when he is dealing in judgment, even when he is dealing with justice, he is loving even still. Yes, even when we feel like he has left us, even when we feel like he has forgotten us, he has not. He is a God of love. This is what John is emphasizing here. That the author of this, that the finisher of it as well, is God himself. And that we cannot separate it from him. Love loses its meaning when it is separated from its foundation. And its foundation is God himself. It's not something that just God possesses. It's his nature, it's his character, it's his signature, so to speak. Love is the signature of God the Father. And he proves this in verse 9, which is one of the most incredible statements of love in the scriptures. You want to know what love looks like? You want to know what this type of love means? Here's the foundation in this. Here it is. Love was manifested by God toward us because God sent His only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. That God the Father saw us in our sinful estate. And he saw us in that way. And he sends his son to stand in our stead. He sent his son into the world that the very ones that he loves might have life. And here is the foundation then. The foundation of love is substitution. The foundation of love is substitution. God substituting himself in the place of sinful man. Standing in their stead. Taking their place. The creator, as we've so often tried to exhort and preach. The creator becoming a part of his creation. God coming down in the flesh. 
in the form of a man. If you want to be stirred to know what true love means, it's found in a remembrance of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, standing on our place, substituting himself for us. Love is of God, and God is love. But John proceeds, though, to move from love's foundation to, in verse 10, I would call this love's definition. Love's definition. Here what, here's what John says. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this love that he's been speaking of, this, uh, this idea that he's been talking about already so profoundly, he seeks to give a proper definition to it. You know, if you looked up love in the dictionary, you would likely be greeted by a definition that runs something like this. An intense feeling of deep affection. And that meaning would then be further sort of expanded and expounded by words, similar words like attraction or desire or passion. Do you notice something wrong with all of those definitions, with those terms, with how it's being explained? To me, the, the glaring reality and the way that the world defines love is how self-centered it is. That it always comes back to my desires and my feelings and my attractions and my passions. And if that, those aren't aroused, then it's not love. If I am not moved in any way, in any of those forms, then I'm not in love. Or I'm not feeling love. The way that the world defines love is selfish. Selfish love isn't even love at all, it's lust. We've just masked it under pink hearts and red cookies. <laughs> so you see, just as we cannot contemplate true love apart from God, I also think that we cannot comprehend the love that, that John is talking about, the love that Jesus has for us apart from Jesus himself. You cannot separate it. You cannot separate the love which, which we are loved by Jesus apart from Jesus' ultimate demonstration of love on the cross. And this is what he's talking about here in verse 10. Where he says, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Herein is love. Love consists in this. If you want to know what love looks like, if you want to know how it's defined, here it is. This is the definition of love John is giving. This is the bottom line. It's not about our acts of love. It's God. It's God coming down, loving us. And it says, it says, sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, I think here John is making this incredible statement. True love is self-initiated. True love doesn't wait to see something else in the other person in order to manifest that love to that person. It doesn't wait to see that person change or do something that makes them feel confident enough to love them. It loves them regardless. This is the love with which we have been loved by God. 
It says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. We could go back to Romans chapter 5. That, and this is demonstrated the love of God. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's almost essentially the same thing that John is saying here. Love does not wait to see something that sparks it. In order to love that other person. Herein is love. God loved the world when it did not want him. And he still loved them anyways. He still ascended to the cross on behalf of those who were crying out for his crucifixion. He still shed his blood for the whole world of sinners. Herein is love. He didn't wait For you or for me or for the world to get cleaned up, to change their act, to get a little bit better, to get perhaps a little less sinful before he showed his love for us. Again, back to Romans 5. He demonstrated his love while we were yet sinners. It says here, he loved us. Without qualifiers, without conditions, without prerequisites. It says, not that we have loved us, but that he loved us. He took our place of punishment. He took our place of exile. And he demonstrated his love for us all the while we were still sinners. And he died for us. And he took the full load of all of his sins on us. He loved you. All the way to the cross. True love is self-initiated, but also it's sacrificial. You see that? It regards the welfare of the one who is loved above its own welfare. You see that where it says, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's where we get to that wonderful word, propitiation. (laughs) How many of you have used that in your conversation in the last three weeks? (laughs) Unlikely. But it's a wonderful word. A word that is full of meaning. And it means to appease, to atone, to make satisfaction. And you can see exactly what's happening. That Jesus himself is becoming the atonement, the appeasement, the propitiation, the payment himself for all of our wrongdoings, for all of our rebellings, for all of our sins. He is sacrificing himself on behalf of those he loves. Without regard for his own welfare, without regard for his own well-being. He's putting himself in the place of violence and ridicule and scorn and punishment. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us so much as it says, therefore, God so loved the world, John 3.16. His thoughts on the cross weren't of escape. We were just talking about this in our midweek Bible study. That what happens on the cross is incredible. Why? Because as Jesus is dying, what does he say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. The very people spitting on him. The very people crying out for his crucifixion. The very people ridiculing him. The very people throwing a spear in his side. And he is thinking of what 
their forgiveness. He's thinking about the way in which they can be forgiven. (laughs) How? Because he is their propitiation. He is their sacrifice, their payment for all of that nasty sin. He is your payment for all your nasty sins too. His blood has come to satisfy the wrath of God on your behalf. He does so with his own blood. Herein is love. Jesus is the sacrifice in himself for us. And this Thus we have the definition of love. It is sacrifice. Substitutionary sacrifice. Putting yourself in another person's stead. And being okay with their well-being being lofted above yours. This is what Jesus did for us. This is what Jesus is for us. He is God's I love you. God's definitive, I love you, was pronounced when Jesus says, it is finished. Because there, all of the wrath of God is satisfied in him. It's all paid for. It's all done. All of that, all the tension of the law that was built up because of man's rebellion is satisfied in that one moment when Jesus says, it is finished. And all the fear and trepidation that we have because of our our incredible shame is gone. Because Jesus finished it. And all of the worry and anxiety of being able to be loved by a God who loves sinners is gone. Because Jesus finished it. He finished it on that cross by being our sacrifice. This is the definition of love. But I must move hastily too. The third movement, which is in verse 11, which I think we see love's motivation. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God. God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. Here you can clearly see as John is moving to sort of encourage, to motivate his readers to have the same sort of love. 
He is actually, yes, talking about the same sort of love with which we have been loved by God. He's displaying, therefore, in those verses we've already walked through, the fullness and the majesty of this divine love so that we might have the motivation to love others. I think that's what he's getting at here. Because God loved us in this way, we should love one another in the same way. He's wanting his readers, he's wanting therefore also us too, to catch this fire from God's love for them. That they might burn with love for others. God loves you so much. And we who say we love God, how can we not love our brother and our sister also? One writer, he puts it like this. Love to God catches fire. From the perception of his love to us. If you want to be moved off of your hands and feet to love a brother and sister in Christ. Just remember verses 9 and 10. The substitutionary sacrificial love of God for us. This is what we are called to. We are called to love. I would also say that we cannot rightly perceive of this love without showing it. Without telling it. It would do me no good to think a thousand and one thoughts about how I love Natalie if I don't tell her about them. (laughs) A thousand and one ways in which I can prove that I love her unless I express that. Thinking the thoughts does nothing unless I am moved to show her that I love her. And I think the same is with the Lord Jesus We can have a thousand and one thoughts of why we love him. But are you moved to show him that you love him? Are you moved to show the world this type of love that God has for them? Love has to be expressed. It has to be shown. It has to be uh, told. Such as I think what John is getting his readers to see. This is how much God loves you. So why why aren't you loving your brother? (laughs) Because it's hard. Yes. But Jesus loved us when it was not just hard. It was impossible. When we had everything against us. And what does it say? He loved us. This is what should move us and motivate us to love. Which is what he says there in verse 20. Such is why I think so much of scripture is taken up with this idea of love. Think about it. Galatians chapter 5. The very first fruit of the spirit is love. It's the culmination of the apostle Paul's chapter on love that we might call it. 1 Corinthians 13. Which he says, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity and or love. This is the greatest. This is the highest priority of God. So this is what Jesus gets at in Matthew chapter 22. When he culminates the law into one word. Love. Love God and love your neighbor. All of the law is wrapped up in that. Love. We who say we believe in a God who is love ought to be identified by the same kind of love. Such is what he gets at in verse 19. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. 27 times. 
the word love appears in these 15 verses. And every time it's the same word. It's agape love. A selfless, sacrificial love. It's a selfless, sacrificial love for others. That is shameless, that is self-sacrificing, that is self-denying, that doesn't recoil at the ideas or the, the images of weakness, but is strong and fearless and bold. And it doesn't wait for something to happen before it gives it. It doesn't wait for reciprocal acts of love, it just gives. This is the type of love that we have from God the Father. He doesn't wait around for uh, reciprocity. <laughs> He loves us regardless. He loves us, as Alexander McLaren, the great orator, says, He loves us with a love which cannot change, which cannot die, which has no limits, which can never be cold, and which can never disappoint. My friends, this morning, this is how much God loves you. Enough to make you bold in the confidence of what? That he has taken your place. That he has sacrificed himself. This morning, everyone, I have to tell you. You have a lover and his name is Jesus. And his love for you will never quit. And his love for you will never wane. And his love for you can never be taken away. You might have come here. Thinking how in the world can he love me? He loved you because Jesus loves you all the way to the cross. He loves you enough to die for you. And there's nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul talks about that. Let me read those verses. A good way to end, not with my words, but with the words of Scripture. Romans 8. Listen to this incredible oratory that Paul just explodes into, talking about the love that we have in Jesus. Who shall separate us, verse 35, from the love of Christ? Who can do it? Shall tribulation... Shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray.